0: Hello there, I'm Paul Church, the Director of the Enemo Group, the Tech Data and Digital Talent Solution. This is our podcast, Talent and Growth, and in this we will get insights from talent leaders on their challenges and solutions to all things attraction and retention related. Today, I am talking to Tony Payne. Among other things, Tony is the Head of Talent at Oodle Car Finance, and we're going to be talking about how to strategically plan for volume recruitment. So lots of tangible advice in this one for everybody. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hello there, I'm Paul Church, Uh, this is Talent and Growth and today I'm joined uh, by Tony Payne who among other things is the head of talent at Oodle Um, and today we're going to be talking about how to strategically plan for volume recruitment. Tony thanks for joining us, how are you doing? I'm great thanks, Uh, good to meet you again Paul, Um, good to be here. Fantastic, well look do you mind if we just keep things off, just giving us a bit of a Background as to your journey in and talent and recruitment, and everything else, and kind of what you do now, because obviously you're head of talent at Oodle but that's not all. So, so tell us a bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, sure. So I've been in recruitment for over 20 years now. And um, that's largely been, there's a, a large agency chunk there that I moved internal. The last 10 years have been with sort of fast growth startups and scale ups, um, hired across sort of four different continents, uh, developed teams of anything up to sort of 25 uh recruiters uh, and like i said currently heading up all recruitment at oodle finance which is a uk fintech uh they've grown to over 600 staff uh, in just five years so a real sort of rocket ship star growth and you know the hiring there is very mixed uh, there's a lot of tech hiring but then on the other end of the spectrum there's a lot of high volume operational hires there as well and so uh, i
0: did a team of about uh, eight recruiters there and um, that cover the whole business fantastic well, look pleasure to have you with us tony and I think um yeah I think this is going to help a lot of people I think I think in my experience when it comes to volume recruitment perhaps sometimes the 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 problem with strategy strategy is there is no strategy um and obviously we'll talk about that today and you can give us some tangible examples of things you've done that work well but let, let, from your point of view what what typically happens though when volume recruitment is sprung on talent acquisition and sometimes it is sprung it does sometimes just come out of nowhere doesn't it absolutely it usually does. Absolutely. Um,
1: so what I've typically observed is is panic and, you know, comments like, well, we can't possibly get those numbers and we can't possibly hit those deadlines. That's typically what happens when, in actual fact, the stakeholder or stakeholders that have sprung this, all they want to really hear is, yes, we can do it. Let's. This is how we make it happen. So uh, usually it's panic. But once you kind of think about it,
0: we can work it out. Oh, and how how should it go? What should happen, do you think?
1: Well, I think that the recruitment team should start by getting really excited. I mean, these the sort of high impact, high volume, you know, fast paced projects are really why a lot of us do the job. So uh, the first thing really is, you know, you know, enjoy it. But then there should be sort of uh, a step back and and start planning and really thinking about a strategy of how to deliver. Not whether we can or not. So it should be yes all the time. Um, But then it needs to be a project plan that can be presented to senior stakeholders that basically give them confidence in the recruitment team, but at the same time manages expectations of the stakeholders as well. So when a stakeholder says, can it be done, the answer is always yes, but let me come back to you on the detail.
0: Do you think there is sometimes where where some people go wrong is that there is a reluctance or maybe a fear if you like, for, for TAs to push back on stakeholders? Because they just want to say yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of it is born out of um, the, you know, thinking about things and reacting to the requirements too quickly. So, you know, the typical, like, we can't possibly do those numbers. Well, actually, um, of course you can. It just depends on what kind of resource and support you have, right? Um, a common mistake that recruiter team, recruitment teams have is that they work on a shoestring. As opposed to a lot of organization, a lot of uh, departments in the organisations rather, that whenever there's a big rise in volume in capacity needed, they have increased resource. And so recruitment should be exactly the same. And so if you can think about what resources needed and be able to actually express that and communicate that in the most constructive way, then uh, the stakeholders are going to be very happy and they should be able to you know give you that resource.
0: And before we go through kind of a bit of a blueprint of, of, of a recruitment strategy plan that you put together personally and how you delivered it, how do you push back on those demanding stakeholders? Because it, it does come up a lot. And what's your tactic, as you like?
1: Yeah, you always start with, yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, uh, this is great. Sounds fantastic. The benefit to the business is is really clear. And we have to work out how that's going to be done with what we've got and whatever we're going to need. So, it, yeah, it's
0: it's very simply, you know, we're going to come back to you with a plan. Fine. Fair enough. Cool. All right. Well, look, if you wouldn't mind then, talk us through a blueprint of a strong strap plan you put together and how it went.
1: Yeah, sure. So the you can think of it as a, as a pretty simple project plan. Uh, even simply, you can think about, you know, what, what uh, why and how. So, you know, the what is what do we need to deliver, whether it's, you know, on a simple basis, 50 hires in three months. You know, the why is quite important to understand what the impact is for the business, because with that, you can align everybody that's going to be involved and, you know, make sure that the vision across the project is is uniform. and um, But then, you know, the how is, is obviously the most important. That's the nuts and bolts, right? So with that, you really want to sort of break down all of the options and almost sort of, you know, game the options so you can understand what is needed in each one. With any big recruitment project, there's only really five or so options that you can do right on on a high level one is that you scale and grow your internal team so you bring in more recruiters second one is that you can supplement that team with embedded talent so you know uh, specialist recruiters from an external organization Uh, third one would be that you bring in a sort of an RPO provider to take over the whole project end to end Uh, fourth one you could broaden your Uh, reach with agencies and and bring in more agencies. although Obviously that has uh, uh, difficulties as well. Um, And the fifth one really is that you could look at a, a high level of freelancer hiring, which is typically quicker, easier, you bring in experts and you can get the project moving and you can get the bulk of it done with freelancers with the idea that you then replace out those freelancers over time, if necessary, with permanent hires. All five have their benefits and their drawbacks. And typically it's not you probably go with maybe a hybrid of those based on your scenario. Um, but what is most important is that you look at each one and you game out how it would work end to end. So, for instance, if you, if you had 50 highs to make, how would you make it with a scaled-up team? How would you make it with embedded partners? How would you make it, etc.? cetera? And what recruiters are typically good at are thinking about the activities that they can break down. So, you know, how many, how many placements do I need to make a week across the project timescale to make this happen so if you did that but did that with each of those five options you'll start getting an idea of what is feasible or not um, so for example you know the last project plan we did meant that we would have to scatter the team by another 10 uh, internal if we did it with an internal team it would be another 10 recruiters which you know really wasn't feasible because even this the market this year there's no way you're going to hire 10 recruiters in the time scale needed to then you know so obviously it's going to be a bit of everything right so so yeah you map them all out present them uh, with proper costings to the stakeholders and then it's a discussion right so you've given them all of the options uh you obviously you can you know dip in and out of each of the different options but ultimately you're putting a project plan in place saying well If you want it this, you know, you want 50 in three months, it's going to either cost this and we're going to need this, or it's going to cost this and we're going to need this, or it's going to, you know, you give them all the options. What I've typically seen, and this is in 99% of the cases of these, you know, big projects that we sprung on them, the stakeholders look at them and they go, okay, now we understand this isn't feasible. What if we move the time scales to here, or we started with just 25 instead of 50? You know, and then you know, scale the project in different timelines, and and then that discussion comes in, and then you can actually you know really pick and choose the options you want to do, and you can get a better time scale. So it works out for everyone. So that that, and ninety nine percent of the time, that's what happens.
0: When you when you're presenting these options, um, in are you trying to remain completely impartial to each option, or are you are you trying to give a recommendation? Actually, you know, little nudge. This is probably the way to go, guys. You know, how are you doing it?
1: Yeah, I think that's where the value added comes from. Actually, your commentary. So, you should present them in you know, a in a relatively, you know, impartial fashion. But you're there for a reason. You know, you were hired for a reason. You weren't just hired to, you know, do some operational work. You should have an opinion. You should have a, 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 a an idea of what to recommend because usually the stakeholders don't come from a, a recruitment background. Uh, they need some help beyond timescales and and costing. So. Uh, d- typically, you could help on, you know, because a stakeholder might well say, Oh, great, let, let, let's scale your internal team, no problem. Um, but then it's like, well, actually, the, you know, hiring, for instance, you know, anything up to 10 internal recruiters is a tough job itself. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take X amount of time. So I'd recommend that maybe we got two, got another five from, a, you know, a embedded talent and increased agency pool. So, you know, you're pulling in all the different levers to, meet the project timelines so so no a commentary is essential
0: yeah absolutely and what um just this the example which you're drawing upon do you mind showing what which route you ended up taking for this one
1: yeah absolutely so we uh first of all scale back the well actually the, the last project was 130 hires rather than 50. Um, but we scaled that back to 20 within six weeks and then others in, in various different pockets. So immediately we looked at the business priorities and understood what had to happen in, in each time scale. And then the stakeholders then signed that off with the uh, with the immediate 20. That was a tricky one because it really was immediate. It was like, you know, so, sort of six to eight weeks and the, and the people had to be in a seat you know not not offered not accepted in the seat so in this case we developed a model where we brought in a, an extra uh person in the talent team we worked with some of the agencies we work with that are you know so let's say preferred or, or the better end that are really delivered and we went to them with a new package where we incentivized them to deliver better for us and to be more dedicated to us so we we gave an uh, each of our recruiters looked after a set of agencies those agencies were incentivized with guaranteed numbers and an increased fee beyond the normal sort of bau and then we um uh, so basically anyone that they would place in a certain time scale they would get you know x percentage mm-hmm. but if it was after that they would get a lower percentage we wrapped that up with a contingency of freelancers so what we said we set deadlines as to if we don't have offers accepted on any jobs by this deadline we would flip those jobs to freelance jobs and fill in the gaps so out of 20 we filled 17 roles permanently ready to start on that date three became freelance and those the the idea was that Uh, three months to six months they would be then replaced with permanent hires if they were still needed so uh that was the last one yeah
0: sounds like a good plan it sounds like it was executed very well as well
1: it's um i mean it had to move very quickly uh the the biggest challenge was probably the internal changes because part of part of this is also process change as well which we had to put in place we had to move to a, a sort of um a process where all of the main interviews happened on uh on two days but ideally separated by sort of one or two days so mm. quick decisions quick turnarounds we had uh, we still used um, psychometric testing as well so we had to turn that around quickly but the idea is that everyone that came into process would have an offer or a rejection within five days and so with that you were then able to to hit the deadline so um
0: yeah it was intense and when you when you're putting together this strategic plan, um, is there are there any tools or resources you 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 use to put it put it together, or you use to assess the the you know the battlefield as it were? Um, well,
1: we we use sort of normal tools that are already in the business, things like uh, you know Jira and Confluence to get everyone on the same page in terms of you know what the next steps were and the planning and that side of things. Um, we obviously have got our ATS in place as well. Um, beyond that we used uh, for direct sourcing on the tech side we use cord and uh, for the advertising we we just use actually free uh
0: free boards like uh, indeed Glassdoor. um yeah those two many got you um okay perfect so i think there's, there's lots to take away from this and and if you're a i suppose a smaller business um less budget allocated to town acquisition you know a bit of a do more with less type of, type of attitude in business, which so businesses have to have. What mm. advice would you give them when they're trying to deliver on how to, how to get these volume recruitment uh, plans together?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, obviously with a smaller business, the, the budgets are pretty small because the business is starting out, right. But there still needs to be some resource if they're going to be bringing people in. Um, sometimes it's, it's, you know, just one person in the TA team. I've been mm. there, you know, for, for many years. Um, in that case, uh, automation is very is key because you can save yourself a lot of time and enable yourself to do more by bringing in that automation. I think recruiters should absolutely not be shy about asking for budget when it comes to things like tools. And mm-hmm. um, any other department in the organisation have, have, have a big budget for tools. You know, whether it's on the tech side on the operational side, they all got stuff. So you know, TA really shouldn't be afraid of asking for that kind of thing because it's so cheap compared to having a scalar team you know so so i, I said at first there's always when, when there is a big recruitment need there's always an inflection point as well when one person or a small team become a bottleneck to that growth and at that point it's about then thinking about where the, you get the best bang for your buck if you went back to those sort of five options mentioned before. I think you know every company is going to be different, and everyone's going to have different experiences. But bringing in uh, probably embedded talent from a from a third party, which are typically experienced recruiters who know the internal landscape, a lot of the time they come already with a lot of tools and licenses, so you don't have to actually spend on those. And it's probably the best you'd get to guaranteeing, you know, a, a good hire from a recruiter, and of course because it's a a third party you can you can scale it up scale it down as you want you can end it when if it's not working out you know so uh if i would say probably that's the first step if you're a very small team and you need extra support um and you're not going to be hiring headcount in your team yeah i'd say bring in embedded talent really
0: fantastic and finally just just quick just you you touched on automation there is any go-to automation tools which you'd recommend that you know everyone should have in their in their artillery It depends
1: a little bit on the sort of recruitment you're doing, Um, but uh, I think, yeah, definitely sort of uh, on the tech side, some kind of sourcing or, you know, direct uh, uh, sourcing tools like Cord, Hired, uh, Amazing Hiring, that sort of thing. Um, On the ops side of things, one thing that has been very useful is a, a service called Grayscale, which is for SMS. And... the the key is that it actually sends SMS text messages to your phone. I mean, do you remember when we used to actually use text messages, right? Mm. Well, actually, they're they're really useful for things like interview uh, confirmations where in volume talent, volume hiring, rather, uh, you've got, you know, hundreds of interviews happening. It's very difficult to actually make sure people turn up to those interviews. But by having this automated SMS service, we increased the, well, sorry, we decreased the no-shows by about 70% because you can set you can set messages whenever you like the, the night before the morning of the interview an hour before the interview and the key is not just reminding people but it's actually saying to them it's all right to reschedule you know we don't mind you know you're busy we're busy if you want to reschedule just click the link and do it because what we found is the ones that when you didn't get that message and they didn't show up they were then presumably too embarrassed to then reschedule mm. the interview. Whereas we're quite happy to say an hour before, don't worry, we'll have an hour back.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> We'll do it tomorrow.
0: No problem. Oh, cool. Fantastic. Tony, there's some really great advice here. I appreciate that. If anyone needs to, or would like to reach out to you to, to get your, pick your brain and get some more insights from you, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, all the normal channels, but LinkedIn is the main one. Fantastic. All right, Tony, thanks so much. Um, and everybody who's listened today, thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, all I ask is that you just share it with one person to help grow the community. And I will see you next time. Thank you. Peace, Paul.